0: John 3, starting with verse 16, probably the most famous passage maybe in all of Scripture. So we're going to be unpacking that and the Scriptures that come after it and get a sense of what the sermon is called this morning, which is the love and the light of God. Here's John picking up chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. That's where we're going to stop for our time this morning. And what we see here, and to summarize what we just read is this. The love and light of God is delivered to all men and all women through the rescue plan of Jesus Christ. And that is really just sort of the the meat of what it is that we're going to be going through this morning as we look at both the love and the light of God. So I was reading this article on this thing that happened back in 2002 called the Kew Creek mining disaster. Maybe some of you have heard that. It happened in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. The Kew Creek Mine Disaster, or a a more positive way to frame it would be the Kew Creek uh, Mine Rescue, uh, is the story of these nine miners from Somerset County, Pennsylvania, who were trapped underground for over 77 hours. Uh, So what had happened was an area in the mines had been breached by these miners, And what happened was that it allowed, check this out, 75 million gallons of water to begin flooding all the different levels of the mines where these men were. And so a rescue team was called in and they started scrambling to assemble teams to, to pump out the water so that it could slow down the flooding for where these men were and then drill down so that they could get some air to where the miners were because oxygen levels were beginning to get way too low for these men to survive. And then it turns out the rescue team, they had to locate another drill uh, large enough to bore a hole so that the miners could be eventually raised out of the mine if they could actually reach them. And so after working around the clock, they, they finally reached them, they finally established communication with these nine miners. And in order to create enough visibility in the mine and so that they could pull these brothers to safety, they, they had to get some light down there and the only way to do it was they, they lowered a glow stick, like a kid's glow stick, down into the hole in order for the miners to actually see what was going on so that they could be pulled up into safety. And miraculously, all nine of these miners were saved and if you're old enough to remember uh, this story, it, it made national news. It was, it was all across the country. Um, but I thought this was such a great story. And I thought it was so great because it illustrates the rescue plan that we just read about in John 3. And that's what that is. So when you read John 3, 16, it's hard for that verse not to go in one ear and out the other ear. We've heard that so much, we've seen it printed so much. Every time we go to a football game or a baseball game, it's hanging off the bleachers, right? We see it so much, but what that verse is, and what the verses that follow it up to 21 that we just read are, is it's God's rescue plan for the world. It's how Jesus rescued us from the darkness of our sin. So what we wanna do right now is we want to see what it is that Jesus did exactly in that rescue plan. So if it's a rescue plan, it means that there's elements to it that God designed and devised so that we could have salvation, so that we could understand and know the love of God and see how that love brought us into the light. So what did Jesus do exactly, if that's what we're reading here in John 3? Well, the first thing Jesus did was he revealed God's love. Jesus revealed God's love, which is that God gave his only son to die for the world. John 3.16, it's a summary of the gospel message that Jesus is presenting, if you remember from last week, to Nicodemus so right now we're getting this conversation that Jesus is still in with a Pharisee a religious leader an elite religious leader um, somebody that would have been considered the greatest teacher in Israel at the time and Jesus is in a conversation with this brother because he met Jesus at night in private and wanted to ask him some questions about who he was and so by the time we get to verse 16 Jesus is still laying out who he is and as we get into verse 16 through 21, the plan that God made through him to rescue the world and John 3:16, that verse in particular, it's a summary of that. It's a summary of the gospel message. It tells us how Jesus revealed God's love for the world. It explains what God did to make eternal life possible for those who believe like Jesus stated In verse 15, that whoever believes in him, he told Nicodemus, may have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus, when he heard this, when he heard verse 16, which Jesus didn't say this is verse 16. He was just talking to Nicodemus. But when he heard verse 16, uh, he would have been shocked when he heard Jesus say that God so loved the world That was a a different concept for somebody who was Jewish like Nicodemus, right? Because the Old Testament speaks of God's love being reserved for the Jewish people exclusively, for the Jews alone. So for Jesus to include the world, to include really, and for the world, what he means is the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, um, it's a radical inclusion. It's a radical inclusion. Whoever... Jesus says, that word is important there in John 3:16. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus will be saved. It's not just for the Jewish people. Jesus came to save all peoples. Paul echoes this years later in Galatians 3:27 when he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither, Paul says it here, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't saying that those ethnic and gender distinctions weren't important. They are. But he was saying that salvation is available to all regardless of those distinctions. He says you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs according to the promise. So the promises that God gave Abraham that were to extend to the Jewish people who put their faith in Jesus, they extend to everybody now who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So in his universe sized love, God gave his only son so that whoever, and that whoever is everybody here today, Whoever believes will not perish, will not perish. Another way to think of perish is will will not be condemned into an eternity without Jesus. God has this universe-sized love. What kind of love is that? What kind of love does God have? Because we, we have different kinds of love, right? We use the word love to describe a ton of stuff. We use the word love to show our affection for something that we like a lot, right? Like I love this kind of food or I love OSU or I love my job. There's some of you out there that love your job, right? Or I love this TV show. I love this hobby that, I, that I'm engaged with, right? That's a kind of love. Jesus revealed the kind of love that God has for us. So it's a distinct kind of love. We wanna understand the kind of love that God has for us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. John writes in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. So to be called children of God, well that's Jesus' big reveal, right? That's the big reveal. That's what he's trying to get across to Nicodemus here. But it's a love that comes with a high cost, a high sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, Jesus says in John 15, 13. So listen, this love that Jesus is describing that God had, which is why he was sent by God, it's, it's not just an affection, right? Like we have an affection for people and for things. We have a, like a high likability for certain things. It's not just a special feeling or like a fondness for something. Like I can really like something. But it doesn't mean that I have the kind of love for it that Jesus is describing here about God's love. The love of God goes deeper and wider. It goes deeper and wider than than the very universe. Why? How is that possible? How can something go that far and wide and deep? Well, because we know that God is love. And whoever abides in that love abides in God and God abides in him, John tells us, In 1 John 4.16. So the big reveal that Jesus had was to reveal God's love for the world. And he did it through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension. The size and the strength of God's love is revealed through sacrifice as opposed to self-fulfillment. Right, so like we have a funny way of understanding love because love for us can be something selfish. We can do things in order to gain people's love or we can act in such a way that will earn other people's what we would say love and might only be affection or we can demonstrate love for others or for other things. But in the end, what we're really looking to do is trying to gain an extra measure of self-fulfillment God shows his love by sending his son as a way to sacrifice to show the depth and the width and the breadth of his love, kind of like we just read in Romans during our time of singing. So Jesus, the rescue plan of God was that Jesus would reveal God's love. That's what Jesus did. Secondly, this is what he did. He accomplished God's plan so that those who are already condemned to die would be saved. It gets a little dark here, right? And it's interesting because Jesus says God's plan was to save, not to condemn. He didn't need to send Jesus to condemn the world, why? Because those who do not believe in Jesus are condemned already. They're condemned already. This tells us something about our human condition. Jesus is telling something about the way that we come into the world. Jesus is telling something about us before we are saved, and before we come into the light and the truth that God provides for us. The illumination that God gives us to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus is telling something about the state we're in before that happens, right? If we weren't born with this disease called sin then there was no reason for God to devise a spiritual medical plan to cure us of it right so let's think a little logically of this if we weren't conceived in sin as David so pleasantly reminds us in Psalm 51 5 then God wouldn't have needed a plan of salvation at all why would he? Think about that. Why would he? You don't call a plumber when your pipes aren't leaking. You don't take your car to a mechanic when your engine light is off, right? You don't wash the stain out of your shirt when there is no stain on your shirt. I just keep going lower and lower with this whole thing, right? You're just being silly now, Ronnie. Maybe. Maybe. But the point is that nobody is born unstained and unbroken. Unbroken which is what Jesus is getting at here. Nobody has a level of goodness or, check this out, even sincerity or good intentions. Nobody is born with anything that qualifies them to be right before God. Here's what this means. You can never earn a high enough credit score to be okay with God. It sounds so grim at first until you consider what it is that Jesus is telling us God offered to us to make it okay. But you can never earn a high enough credit score to be okay with God. The reason we work to have a high credit score in our lives is so we can qualify to do what? To get a loan, to get a credit card. What they are saying, with those, what those loan companies are saying is, You have earned our trust by your credit score, so we will give you the money you need in advance to purchase whatever, the house, the car, the furniture that you want. But on a spiritual level, we can never earn God's trust like this. And if you could, then it was, listen to this, it was a cruel thing that he sent his only son to die for you. Why would he do that? For what purpose? But because this is true, to believe that you're good enough or sincere enough or have good intentions enough to earn your trust before God, that's actually what we would call unbelief. Because it's not believing in the love and the plan that God sent Jesus to reveal and to accomplish from him. Right? 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So God had to send a mediator to pay our ransom because we were born as hostages to sin. Maybe um, you remember that movie Ransom? with Mel Gibson years ago. Some of you might remember that. If you don't, this is what it was. It was a story of a father whose son was kidnapped, but Mel wouldn't pay the ransom that the kidnappers asked for in order to get his son back. First off, thank God that God is not Mel Gibson for a number of reasons. Right. God's love was so great that he paid our ransom by sending his son as our payment in full. God's plan to send Jesus to die, it's the only ransom that is good and righteous enough to earn us back to God. Because without the shedding of blood, it tells us in Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this just helps us understand the love of God which propelled the plan of God, which he sent Jesus to both reveal and to accomplish. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. That mystery that Paul is talking about is the part where Jesus says, for God so loved the world, it's available to all. He says, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus accomplished God's plan. And it's because we were lost that we needed a plan. It's because we were lost that we needed God's love. And it's because we were lost that thirdly, Jesus exposed God's judgment that we would come out of darkness into light. We see Jesus elaborating on what John laid out. Go back with chapter one in John verse four when it said, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and then you go up to verse 9 and he says the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him so the nature of light in darkness when it comes to the judgment of God is that Jesus is the light of love that has come into the world. He has entered the world. But the problem is that people don't receive the light because they love darkness more than Jesus, who is the light. And when I say people, I mean us. It's not them over there, but it's us in here. People love darkness more than the light, who is Jesus. And because they love darkness, They stay away from the light because the light exposes what they do in the dark. So one of the pieces of evidence that a person loves Jesus is that their life is not lived anymore under cover of darkness. Their sin has been exposed and their sin has been forgiven. They are not held under the judgment of God anymore if they have repented and trusted Jesus So therefore there is nothing there that they need to hide away from. There's nothing there that they have to conceal because it has been exposed. But it's a good exposure because when something in the dark has been exposed in the light, we now see what was missing, what was lacking. And so this is what Jesus is talking about and how he exposed God's judgment. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light, Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, 16. So Jesus exposes God's judgment by being the light to those who live in darkness and will be judged by God unless the light of Christ turns them from their hatred of the light. Jesus kind of just keeps doubling down on what it means to be in the darkness and being pushed against the light, not wanting to come into the light, and actually hating the light. So this is really, it's heavy language, y'all. You know what I'm saying? This light-darkness thing that Jesus is explaining means that you're either living in the light of Christ or you're perishing in the darkness of God's wrath dude why does it got to get so real today it's what it says and if you're in the dark it's not that you're just in the dark and you know I got a foot in the light I can see a. I can see a little glimmer over there no no if you're in the dark it's because you hate the light until God saves you and you believe in his only Sun and light has now entered the darkness of your existence. See, we've gotten so used to neutrality, right? We just live in a society where we try to, to kind of tame the things that are ugly and bad and dark. We try, to, we try to bring a sense of neutrality into what we do and how we live. Um, and certain things have made it easier to, to do that. Right? And by the way, there are things that you can be neutral about. Right? So there are plenty of things that you can be neutral on. You can go to a football game and say, I'm not for or against either team. Now a guy like Mike Martinelli would not be able to do that when he goes and watches uh, Ashland football on Saturday night. Some of us like Ronnie Martin are able to do that. Able to do that. Don't hate me, Mike. Um, Some of us can go on Yelp, right? We can look up some restaurants. And we can say, you know what, I'm totally good. Either restaurant is fine, totally good with either one. But when it comes to Jesus, you are either in the light or in the dark with or without him. That's why, listen, that's why identifying as a spiritual person is not enough to change your status before God. That's why I that's why go into church fairly regularly is not enough to bring you into the light. It doesn't qualify you as somebody in the light. That's why tithing and serving, it's not enough to pull you out of the darkness of your sin. Like if you've ever sat in a dark room, the only thing that eliminates the dark is light. Ronnie, you are not a scientist, I know. But that's the only thing that eliminates the dark. When, when you open, open the shade, when you turn on a flashlight, when you hit a, a light switch, that's when the dark is eliminated. And that sounds pretty basic, right? But isn't it strange that in our religious way of thinking, we think that something other than light will somehow eliminate and illuminate the darkness? We kind of live that way in some ways. And that's because there are counterfeit lights. There's, there are things that appear to be light, but they're fooling us into thinking their light while keeping us trapped in darkness. If we go back to that story with the miners, those miners didn't need a counterfeit light. Those miners needed that glow stick, and I would argue they probably needed a little bit more than that. But they needed real light. Light, right? If one of them would have had a lamp down there and nothing to plug it in, that was not enough to hold a light. If one of them would have had a target catalog and turned to the light section. Ronnie, how dense do you think we are? I'm I'm really trying to stress a point here. That's not enough. That's something that looks like a light. That's the appearance of light but it's not enough to light the darkness that they were in. There is just no neutrality when it comes to the love and the light of God. You are either a rescued person or you're not. Those nine coal miners, they they needed to be rescued or, or what? Or else. There was no third way for them. They didn't have the option, right, of just settling into their new life underground, right? They didn't have the option of building an underground city and establishing a community of, you know, buried miners who worked and lived happily ever after. That wasn't an option for them. They were either going to be rescued or they were going to perish. There was no middle ground. We, uh, we recently painted some walls in our house black because we got some new bookshelves put in. And at one point in our painting, and yes, I did the painting with my wife, um, a big tray of black paint was knocked over and it spilled all over our white chair. Because black paint can never fall on a black chair, right? Spilled all over our white chair. I don't remember if that was me who knocked that over, or if it was Melissa who knocked it over, I'm just gonna say that I'm 100% sure that it was not me. (laughs) Just keep the record straight. Um, But look, there was no faking it. That paint was all over that chair. Melissa didn't look at me after her major, major faux pas and say, you know, it's not that bad, you can barely see it. No, we had a black chair at that point, right? So we brought it outside and I don't know how, but I rinsed it off and all the black paint came off. There was no way for that black paint to come off until I rinsed it off. There was no way. It wasn't going to work any other way. There was no neutrality. You know, you don't dive in a pool and only get partially wet you don't stand in a fire and get partially burned you need the love and the light of God to rescue you and what Jesus is saying is oh what a love we have that is so great that God sent his son with a plan to expose his judgment so that we would not have to live in the darkness and be susceptible to the judgment of God because we have not received Jesus as our salvation. Why would we wanna push back against a love that great? Well, because choosing to follow Christ also comes at at a great cost in our life. But it's the only way to be delivered and rescued from the dark. And I don't wanna be in the dark. And I don't want you to be in the dark. So what happens when you have this rescued love and this rescued light? How do you then get to live if this is you, if this is your story? Or if you're watching these baptisms, if you're hearing this, and you're like, I don't know if I'm in the light and in the love of God. Well, how do you get to live when you are? And if you do come to the Lord, and if you do repent, and you receive the gospel. Well, number one, you, you live as the most loved person in the world. How about that? You live as the most loved person in the world. I, I mean, you're not like number one, there's other people that are loved as equally as you. But you get to live as the most loved person in the world. You, it's like, I don't have to carry this burden of fear any longer. It doesn't mean I'm never gonna be fearful, but I don't have to carry this burden of fear that every time I put my head on the pillow at night, panic exists in my heart. Wondering what's going to happen to me. Wondering where I'm going to end up. Wondering if there's an accident in my life. Wondering about what, whenever that day comes, and I pass into eternity. I don't have to wonder why, because I was rescued. Because I am rescued. The miners could look back on that day in their lives from 2002 and always remember we were brought into the light, we are rescued. We can live the life we were meant to live because somebody reached in to that darkness and pulled us out because of their care for us. And that's limited. I don't know that that rescue team could say, man, I love these miners. So imagine if a group of nine miners can be rescued by a team that cared enough to drill down far enough and and, and sacrifice 77 hours of their life with no sleep to pull them out. Imagine the love of God. Imagine that plan, him pulling you out of the darkness of your sin so that you could be in the light and in the love of God. You you live as the most loved person in the world and then finally you walk in the most illuminating light in the world. You go, hey, my life was lived in the dark. All I did was hide in guilt and in shame, not realizing that my life was neck deep in a flood, in a dark place where there was no oxygen. I thought I was breathing, but it was like I was on life support. I really wasn't. I wasn't living. And then the light of God comes into your life through Jesus Christ, and you realize, oh, that's love. And you realize, oh, that's life and light. And now I can live. Now, I can be the light and the love of Christ for the people around me, for the people in my community, for the people in my neighborhood, for the people who I work with. I can be that light and love. I see how dark the darkness was. And when God brought me out of it, now I have this kind of love that says, I don't want you to be in that darkness anymore. It's the most transforming thing that can happen in your life. All that other transforming stuff that happens, okay. It's part of God's process of sanctification. But this is it. This was Jesus' big reveal. God so loved the world that he gave. And now we receive and everything is different for us because we have the light and the love of God. Communion, we're gonna take that now, strengthens us with the love and the light of Jesus Christ. Grab your bulletins if you wouldn't mind. Um, And you can look, we print these things on purpose. Um, You can look where it says weekly announcements and right next to it it says what is communion. And it tells us a little bit of what it is. It's a means of grace given to us by Jesus. So, what we're about to do, which is to symbolically drink of the cup, which symbolizes Christ's blood, and eat of the bread, which symbolizes Christ's body, something is happening in that obedient act. We are becoming once again unified in Christ, and we are being nourished, sustained, comforted, even challenged to remember our baptism, to remember that moment when we were brought from darkness into light. And that's what's gonna happen, and God strengthens us. I don't know how he does that, but there's something that happens to us spiritually, even in the act of taking communion that reunites us as a body, reminds us that we're united in Christ. And we get to once again see the greatness of the gospel worked out in our hearts, and in our minds. We have a love now that is being recalled inside of us. I need stuff recalled in my mind because I forget everything. I forget how great the love of Jesus is when I look around, when I'm on social media, when I'm seeing where all the politics stuff is going, when I see people around that are passing away, When I see people that are struggling with things that they're still struggling with, um, that's me. Years and years later, it reminds me that in Christ, he is making all things new. One minute before I had to get up here, um, Dallas Kaufman came up to me, if you know Dallas, and he said, hey, Ronnie, I got a couple of quick questions about the book of Revelation. I said, oh man, I go, that's awesome. Probably not a lot of time right now to unpack those questions. But I did get to say this because he asked a certain question. I got to say, well, you know what it is, Dallas? It's that God is actually restoring and making all things new. And that is the big, there's the big message in Revelation. I don't have to preach the book now. That's the message of Revelation. It's that God is restoring and making all things new. New Communion reminds us of that. You have been made new in Christ. And that's why communion is only for people who have been saved by Jesus and have submitted their life to Christ. So if that's not you, um, we love you. Um, This is one of these particular things in the church that is exclusively for those who identify as being Christians. So we'd actually just kind of pull back, take this time to pray, examine your life. We're going to do that right now because we... Our hope is that you would come to know Jesus so that you can receive communion and that you can understand it and it can strengthen you in the way, listen, that it can only strengthen those who have come from darkness into the light. So I'm going to pray and as I pray, the ushers are going to come for, we have two stations up here and one in the back, pick the one that's closest to you and then grab a friend, grab your family members and after you receive your bread and your cup, take together Okay. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the light and the love of of God and how it is shown to us through the mercy and the grace of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus so that we could understand what it means for us because God, you love the world and you gave your son to whoever would believe and we are part of that whoever. So, we thank you for this truth. We pray that it would change us today, that it would remind us, that it would humble us. Lord, as we take communion, we remember the sacrifice of Christ. We are reminded that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us. And, Lord, for people that are here that haven't received that grace, that haven't come to the end of themselves, that haven't repented of their sins and received the forgiveness that you offer. We pray that they would do that. We pray that they would come into this family of faith, that they would know the love and the light of Jesus in their lives. So if that's you, we pray that you would examine your heart, examine your life. Maybe you're somebody that's been in church your entire life, and maybe you've thought something about your heart that isn't true. Maybe it's just been a tradition for you. So we pray that you would examine your heart closely as we examine our hearts now. And Lord, that you would surface any sins in our life that we need to ask forgiveness for. If you would surface any relationships in our life that we need to remember to do our best to seek reconciliation in, so that when we come to the table, we can do it with a clear conscience. You were serious about that, and so we want to be serious about that as well. Lord, do a work in strengthening us now as we take these elements and we're reminded that we are united with you and we are united with one another. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.